welcome to episode 7 of the Autism Podcast, produced and delivered by the London Autism Group Charity. In today's episode, James and I talk with Dr. Emily Lovegrove. Emily, who is autistic herself, having been diagnosed late in life, is an expert and psychologist on the topic of anti-bullying strategies. She's worked in academia, but today mainly works as an anti-bullying consultant for autistic children and young people, also families within schools and more. She's written a lot on the subject, including a particularly successful book called Help, I'm Being Bullied. She also happens to be a lovely, humble, down-to-earth and generous person, so it's a real honour and pleasure to have her on the podcast to talk about what is obviously a very key and impactful issue, which unfortunately affects many, many people. Uh, I very much hope that hearing Emily's views and ideas on the issue of bullying helps you. I know I certainly learned a lot from speaking to her in this episode. We also have the next two episodes lined up. First, we have an episode with Dr. Georgia Pavlopoulou, who is an expert on sleeping issues among autistic people, which again, I know is a particularly prominent and powerful issue for many people. So we're excited about releasing that episode within the next couple of weeks or so. Then for episode nine, James will be speaking with Joanna Grace, who is an expert on the sensory world and sensory issues among autistic people, which should also be a fascinating and hopefully impactful interview. We will then probably be wrapping up the first season on the 10th episode with a roundtable discussion among the podcast producers about the interviews that we've had and the issues that have been raised and discussed all across season one. After that, we'll be taking pause to reflect on our first foray into the podcast world and to strategize as to what direction we'd like season two to take. We already have some really exciting ideas, so the future of this podcast looks bright. Our viewership reflects that. It's growing all the time from around the world. So that's great news for us, as it means that these episodes and the potential impact that they might bring are reaching out to more people all the time which is the primary reason why we are doing this podcast. Anyway, that's enough from me. I now bring you our interview with Dr. Emily Lovegrove. Okay, so I have here on the podcast Dr. Emily Lovegrove. Thanks for joining the podcast, Emily. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. I had the pleasure of um, meeting you last year, wasn't it, at the National Autistic Society's Professional Conference? I think it was last year, wasn't it? It was, yeah, last March. Yeah, yeah. It was really fantastic meeting you. And I remember you were talking about bullying, weren't you, to the professionals. And I remember sitting in the audience and seeing how wowed all of the all of the people in the audience were by your uh, your presentation. It was very kind of interactive, if I remember correctly. And uh, you... I, I am always interactive. <laughs> no, nobody sits quietly. <laughs> they all get dragged in. Yeah. I was ready, you know. I was ready. I was ready to get 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 on that stage and <laughs> come oh. into it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were beaten to the post yeah. by Emily Marbay. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it was fantastic. I've also got here um, James Gordon, of course, our fellow uh, charity trustee and podcast host. So nice to see you again, James. Hi. Pleasure to be here and to be on here with with you both. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much. That's great. So first question from our side, uh, Emily, is if you could please tell us how you entered the world of autism. Okay. Well, I think, you know, for most of my life, I knew absolutely nothing about it. 
Um, but I was in Pembrokeshire for about 10 years. And what started happening was that parents who just couldn't wait to get appointments with CAMS, who have a limited service, you know, they are oversubscribed to and not enough staff members. And so the word got round that I might be able to help because one of the main problems was with bullying. So I was working um, on a private basis with kids whose parents knew that they were autistic, but there was no available help. Right. How long ago? How long ago was this? Um, that would be sort of four to ten years ago. So over a period of time. So, what kind of work were you were you doing to support these parents at the time? Um, well, essentially, I was working with their kids, and then we would tell the parents what we'd learned. So, I did my interactive workshop with kids, but on a one-to-one basis, so that. I made sure that it was applicable to them, um, and I still do this, and I kind of find out what their interests are, and we'll either cook together and talk about bullying and how we cope, or let go, or go for a walk with what one person wanted to do, so, and that's good, because there's no eye contact, you can just storm along and, and chat, um, so, kind of, really interacting with them on their issues with bullying but in a way that they were happy with. Mm. And is that a sort of formula that you've been using throughout your career? I mean I'm not sure formula is the right word but approach perhaps you know in terms of establishing a close rapport with your uh, with with those people that you're trying to support and and uh, really kind of um understanding them and and sort of valuing their identity and feeding that into your approach, is that right? It it is, and you can deal with that on an individual basis, which is what I do now. But I did a lot as well in schools um, where there might well have been um, kids there who were autistic, but went under the radar because... Well, you will know, even now, it's really difficult to get a diagnosis. Um, And quite often, kids would come out after classroom sessions and say how it had affected them and and what their problems were with with bullying. It It seemed to be useful, though, to do it also as a whole class approach. And a class has an individuality as well, if you know Mm. what I mean. So you're going to one class and it can feel very different from another one. So you have to to learn to be quick and pitch it um, at a level and and in a way that will appeal. I think this is a crucial thing, isn't it, to go to schools and and say the right things? Because, you know, you want to be preventative as well, don't you? You want to presumably get those messages across and, and some uh, preventative intervention to reduce the likelihood of bullying occurring whatsoever, right? I mean, um, so it's a crucial a crucial bit of work that you're doing. What kinds of things do you try to say? What is your approach to to perhaps prevent... Sorry? Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do a fair amount to start with on um, 
what, how, in a way, almost how to bully, but what bullying is and how it affects us, um, and how those traditional responses are actually useless. Um, you can't ignore bullying. It's absolutely possible, impossible because um, your stress levels go through the roof if you know you're being bullied. Um, there are, you know, quite big charities based on the you just need to tell somebody. You know, if we, if we don't know, we can't help you approach. But actually, the ramifications of telling are enormous. Kids are likely to get more bullied, ostracised, um, yeah. and, and adults don't always deal very well with cases of bullying either because teachers have virtually no training on how to deal with bullying in schools and and parents don't know either. So, you know, parents will typically say, um, you go back in and you punch him. Um, and it's actually, it can be a successful approach, but you will then be the perpetrator of violence and schools can and do bring in the police to deal with um, where kids have been aggressive. So... It's such a complex puzzle, isn't it? Is it a case it that... Is. Yeah, You is... have to go through the myths of bullying with kids mm. so that they understand... And, and also give them some understanding. They know how they feel when they get bullied. But often there is no sympathy for the person that's doing the bullying. And mm. in my experience, most kids who bully are themselves bullied in another context. So, you know, if if you have the kind of hang em and flog em brigade, which quite a few parents are, um, it's not actually going to sort out the bullying. You can't stamp out bullying. It's always going to be with us because it's part of fighting for resources. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's such an interesting, I think, compassionate but also logical approach to it, you know, um, in that you, you know, you don't automatically sort of, uh, it's important not to automatically feel too much, uh, I suppose it's reasonable to feel angry towards the, the bullier, but to not, you know, fully judge that they are this terrible, awful person and then that perhaps they're doing it for a reason. I mean, you know, perhaps it's some um, sort of power trip uh, that they need and, and, and that sort of thing. Is, is that your view on it also? Or? It is. I feel once you get into black and white thinking, and that is a difficult for those of us that are autistic because we do tend to think in black and white and it's, it's encouraging the grey that's <laughs> really important. Um, yes, if you, if, and, and headlines do it all the time. I mean, they're, they are full of vitriolic comment. Um, so I think politically we're in a system that thinks in black and white. And so it's very, it's understandable that then society will think increasingly in black and white terms of this is good that is absolutely evil and wicked um, wow. Wow, and that's... it doesn't actually mm. help if if you feel that way you are never going to come to a compromise and life is about compromise that's such a crucial thing isn't it so what you're saying is that 
you know, the way that our social and cultural values and structures are set up really make a difference as to how we, as as individuals, think about bullying uh, and how to deal with it. And and, and that and, and you know, perhaps we should be promoting a more nuanced uh, uh, look at everything as opposed to extreme looks at everything fueled by genders. And that might then trickle down into how we understand cases of bullying even and perhaps find better solutions. Is that, is that what you're saying? Oh, I think you summarised that better than I did. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't have no, if you didn't come up with the idea, though, Emily. Perfect. Yeah. Mm. So that's really yeah. interesting that it's at a social level and that you're saying that there's bullying, political bullying is a form of, of bullying as well. And I, I imagine that there are... Diff- very many different types of bullying, right? And M- James and I were discussing earlier um, the problem of mate crime, which is a, mm. uh, a real issue, isn't it, with autistic mm. people? Is that James? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I-, I was uh, just saying to Chris, um, like there are some very vulnerable people um, out there living in the community. Um, it's been in, in the news recently. Um, so some autistic people um, can be incredibly isolated um, and they desperately want friends um, and other people can, unscrupulous people can pick up on it and um, sometimes um, they pretend to be their friends only to um, have them go to the cash point and take their monthly benefits and things like that. There have been some cases Mm. in in the news about that. And I think um, there was some statistics that back up what you were saying a few years ago. I think the Wirral, uh, I think somebody, some com- somebody commissioned some work in Wirral uh, and they did a report, they, they did a, uh, uh, they looked into the prevalence of mate crime and they found that in their region, if I'm remembering correctly, but please do check, but th- they found that in their region that rates of mate crime and, and hate crime, but, but particularly striking mate crime because it's a more it's a newer phenomenon was uh, well newer as in terms of what what we know about it now I suppose it's always been there to some extent was very you know strikingly higher than other than people uh, had previously expected let's say uh, mm. so it's it's a real concern statistics back up what you're mm. saying James um, is that is this something you come across in your work? Because you do a lot of uh, you do a range of different things, don't you, in your work activities? I do, Emily. but I do find that autistic kids seem particularly vulnerable to this because they don't know necessarily what the social rules are. They're picking up social rules from um, other children without having that kind of innate sense of what's okay and what isn't okay. Um, They probably don't quite fit in. Um, And as Jane said, they're often isolated. So there is that desperate urge to have friends. And I, I think we do kids a great disservice by not being really honest with them. And I think with kids who are autistic. I I see it online quite often that parents are sort of saying, well, I, you know, obviously I'm not going to burden them with the knowledge that they're autistic until they're older. I, I wouldn't do that. I think it's important to know. And I think it's 
important to know why. It, it's sort of like, you know that thing about stranger danger and never speak to strangers? Yeah. Um, and yet a lot of strangers are phenomenally nice people and it makes it difficult. And I can remember my own kids saying, why, why wouldn't I? And and listening to other parents say things like, well, well, we don't, we don't know them, darling. And and I thought this is useless. You know, you have to say to kids because some strangers are really damaged, and they, you know, some folks desperate to show you their willy. Just yeah. be aware. Right. Um, I think that's. And a... I think. Sorry. Same with autism. Mm. You know, mm. you have to say to autistic kids, look, this comes with huge strengths and abilities and some areas that are not such fun. And these are the things that you need to look out for. And we need to teach them to say no. We don't teach kids to say no. I think it's one of the most important things that we teach them to be aware and to say no when it feels uncomfortable. Mm. The, I suppose, though, it's difficult given that they are, you know, like so many of, of, of I suppose, all, all people uh, often, you know, need, really sort of desperately require social interaction and, and desperately don't want to feel lonely. And so, as you said yeah. earlier, they they are therefore vulnerable to perhaps uh, uh, um, trusting when when they shouldn't uh, and that can lead to being taken advantage of in in uh, make crime situations yes. perhaps isn't it I don't think we'll ever stop those things there are always some people who are who feel disenfranchised and get their power kicks by taking it out on those who are less able that's kind of always going to happen but if we teach kids to respect themselves more you know it's so difficult isn't it when you've got I mean I know you've got kids as well Chris and yeah. I don't know about James but he does you know, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying right? yeah I've got a son who's uh, 10 and uh, he's on the spectrum as well well yeah. you you will both know, as I know, that we spend a lot of their early childhoods trying to get them to fit in socially. Um, so, you know, say thank you, don't do that, or oh, you can't wear that, everybody will laugh, um, you know, kiss grandma, um, yeah. <laughs> all, all these things. We There's an awful lot of no in what we teach kids. We don't teach them to say no, and we often don't teach them self-respect because we we override their natural instincts. And I think that is particularly so with autistic kids who, you know, I have a particular bugbear about ABA. It, it seems to me that what you're doing, even in a fairly mild sense, is going, if you do this, then you can have that. Um, we all do it to, deg to a degree, you know, if you go, if you really behave and 
do everything I ask of you when you go out this afternoon, because I know it's going to be hell. We'll have ice cream for tea. Um, yeah, but the the, int- but the crucial thing about the crucial problem with ABA, isn't it, that you're asking them to conform to certain behaviours that you value yeah. as opposed to what they may necessarily value, and yes. uh, uh, and, and they if, need right, and that they and that they perhaps need. So mm. it's 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 for me, it's a very selfish approach, and uh, it happens all the time. Actually, I was in I was in my son's school this morning watching a play. Right. And right. Uh, my son is uh, six years old and he was uh, singing along with his friends. And there was this one one kid. I think I think he probably was on the spectrum. I think he mm-hmm. is. And he uh, went to the f- they, were, they were all lined up. There was sort of seven or eight of them lined up in front of other lots of other children. And the mm-hmm. autistic kid um, went in front of the six or seven sort of broke, broke ranks and, oh, and uh, just just but you know all he did was he stood in front of these six kids that's all it was and was yeah. singing along really happily really nicely actually mm. beautifully mm. beautifully singing and uh, uh, uh and i saw one of the assistants school uh, the teaching assistants uh crawl over you know desperately trying not to be seen <laughs> yeah. and uh, take him by the leg and just t- t- gently um uh, encourage him to to get back in line and and you know and i saw her whisper something into his ear no no doubt you know you know uh, do what you're supposed to do or whatnot but that's yeah. just silly that's nonsense isn't it i mean if if who yeah. if if the um if us as an audience or whoever it is thinks that's a problem that they are expressing themselves in the way that they wanted to then you know they can sod off can't they i mean <laughs> it's not all about them is it Everybody, everybody is expected to conform, and some people find it a lot easier because why wouldn't you? But those of us who hate conforming, <laughs> um, to be continually told, you know, you need to do this, you you need to do that, um, you must stand and you must break rank. Um, I think for for lots of autistic kids that. It feels like an impossibility. And and I also think that because, I personally think, because the world is now so overpopulated and most people live in um, urban conurbations, that it's a lot harder to fit in. Um, If you live in a village and you're the oddball, it's not really such a huge problem but I think we demand conformity now more and more. You know, all these wretched tests that kids do in school in order to conform to some kind of standard that somebody has decided. Um, and of course, the danger is if they aren't able to conform to that standard, yeah. then that presumably massively damages their self-worth, their self-efficacy, and as you were saying there, possibly their self respect which then yeah. in, in tow makes them more vulnerable to perhaps uh bullying situations or not being able to I think it does. yeah so it comes back it does. comes back right it's, around doesn't it mm, you know you you do feel that why can't i manage when everybody else seems to and that's that's not good for your self-esteem 
Yeah. Is, is that what your Love Grove approach is about then? Because it, I know that you've written a very uh, popular book, haven't you, on bullying. That, that, that is, you know, kind of one of the main uh, books, isn't it? It's quite seminal on bullying now, isn't it? And I know you talk a lot about your Love Grove approach in that book. I called it that really to differentiate the way I approach it from the way that other people seemed to, um, particularly the time the big thing was um always down all with um and that meant schools had to jump through certain hoops in order to refer to themselves as always schools and then inspectors went round to check that they were doing what they should be doing and and there's also the restorative justice system which currently seems popular um it's not my cup of tea because it's based on using a script when kids are being bullied um how do you how do you know when you how what counts as bullying emily what is your view what of counts that as, ah, yeah. brilliant question um there is a standard um thing of of what's being bullied that schools use um and they use that it has to be deliberate often we can feel incredibly bullied by remarks that were not meant to bully at all. Um, it has to be repeated. Um, I once got bashed about and threatened by a gang of lads, and trust me, it only needed to happen once. I was absolutely terrified for, for years afterwards that yeah. they would find me again. You know, and I was middle-aged, so this isn't a child wow. experience. This is a, as a grown woman. I'm trying to protect this kid. And so it only needs to be once. And there has to be an imbalance of power. You have to define power. Often people feel that others are much more powerful than they are. You would imagine that a teacher with a class of six-year-olds is going to be the person with the power. They can feel incredibly bullied by a, a gang of kids who just had no interest in what they're talking about, and yet the teacher knows that facts are coming up and that she will be judged on the results. Mm. And, and so it's... It's quite complex. It's a, mm. Yeah, it's a complex definition. M my definition of bullying is something that makes you feel less of a person mm. no. um, so that because really, mm. it doesn't matter whether those criteria are fulfilled it what happens is you have exactly the same you have the same social um fears afterwards the same emotional fears and the same behavioral things as well so you might stop going to things you know if somebody is laughed at your swimsuit and you've gone swimming even though you're a brilliant swimmer and love swimming you might stop going um and the laughter might not have been directed at, at you in your swimsuit but if you feel bullied it has all those same things you feel shame you feel upset um so your emotions are all over the place it might stop you being friendly with those people and they might think, why, why is she so stuck up all of a sudden? Um, 
and as I say, you might stop going swimming. So in a way, it doesn't matter what has happened. If it's made you feel less of a person, then my attitude is always, okay, so we need to work hard to make you feel that you are worthwhile. I mean, I think I like that approach for a couple of reasons. Because, I mean, one of them being it, it's... You know, it's very sort of personal. It's about you as opposed to external, you know, objective features that we can perhaps uh, count and see whether or not it fits in with the framework that, you know, whatever the the, fa- the flavor of the month is in terms of what de- yeah. defines bullying. So it's mm. very sort of very flexible and timeless in a way. And secondly, I think it probably. Um, uh, uh, crosses through different types and levels of bullying as you said earlier you know I mean there's all sorts of different types of bullying it's not always that of course that that classic stereotype it's almost <laughs> I mean that's not necessarily going to be the case so you know no. it, it fits in with all sorts of things political social individual yeah. it's it's just the impact is what matters is what you're saying isn't it and and it's okay. if you feel that you've it, it negatively impacted you Absolutely. Because the only person you can change is yourself. Mm. So really, it doesn't matter what somebody else has done. What The reason that people are upset about bullying is the effect it's had on them. And of course, parents who are kind of secondary victims, because if your child has been bullied, it is really hard not to erupt and get violent yourself. Um, Would you say that the the people doing the bullying are victims of sorts as well? I mean, wh- what was well, your... Well, that's been mm-hmm. my experience, that you can get some really... What schools would regard as really tough kids, and yet you talk to them. Um, I, I remember when my son was... A, primary school and I used to go in and do reading with the kids who were slow at reading um, and my son was quite anxious because he said oh you know the ones you've got are the, are the really naughty ones in class and people are frightened of them um, but when you heard about their home lives which of course if you're on a one-to-one basis with kids they very often open up and tell you what's happening. Um, I find some of their stories absolutely terrifying. You know, they they were dealing with parents who are victims of knife and gun crime in the middle of Bristol and they would so they would come into school late and kids base their opinions on other kids when they're younger on the opinion of the teacher. So if the teacher says, ah, and obviously parents when they're at home, but when they're at school, there's very much this division into the good children and the naughty children. And the good ones are very anxious that they don't become one of the naughty ones. And the naughty ones are usually there because of circumstances. So, for instance, one lad who was always in trouble for turning up to school late 
would get up in the morning exhausted because his mum was barricading them in against an ex-partner who was violent. This child would then get up in the morning, would go to the local shop for milk, would bring it back, would feed a toddler and a five-year-old. I think he was six. So the toddler and the five-year-old he fed, he took the toddler to nursery, the five-year-old to their class, and then he got into school. Well, and that says it all, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does. And and then he would see all these, as it turned out in that particular school, white middle-class kids who'd all done their homework, who were all there in clean clothes and their parents had walked them up to school and there'd been bright chat and they'd gone in and been mocked in and they were playing happily. I mean, I would have been seriously resentful if I'd been in this lad's position. Um, yeah. It, it, so it's not surprising mm-hmm. that he was then labelled as quite spiteful and difficult. I mean, there is a slight humorous postscript to this, that when my son mm-hmm. was in his mid-teens, he was in an area of Bristol that was slightly dicey, and was approached by a gang of lads and thought, you know, oh, shit, I have absolutely had it. One of them broke ranks and went, leave him, I know his mother. And it was this little lad that I'd worked with on reading in primary school. <laughs> so uh, my son was profoundly grateful for this. <laughs> well, no, but, one wants um, ups- no one wants to upset you, Emily. That's a bad move. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I I do have a huge amount of sympathy for a lot of kids that I come across who bully, but then bear in mind, I am not the recipient of their bully, mm, bullying, mm. so I can afford to be quite generous-spirited mm. um, As... and to work with them on their issues. Where, where does emotion in these kinds of responses fit in all this? Because I'm not sure whether or not it actually is uh, uh, somehow some, something good and, and can help us or or if it's, it's something that we need to control and uh, and, th- and think in a more logical, you know, objective way. You know, wh- how does emotion... It's a tricky one, isn't it? But, you know, an emotive response isn't... I suppose it's that nu- nuance thing, isn't it, that you were saying earlier? It's but the I... first thing that we do. Yeah. We... Yeah. Our first reaction is... Emotional. Emotional. Yeah, it, yeah. It's fear for our child. So we we react explosively. Um, and we can't help that because that's part of what it is to be human. We're part human and part that reptilian brain that reacts uh, long before we've actually thought it through. Um, so we process it, accept it, and then move to perhaps more more objective... Uh, yeah. helpful thinking is that what you yeah thoughts are? I think so I, yeah, that I makes think sense. You, you have to allow your that your emotions are are there they're, they're natural not aren't they things. yeah they're natural um, and they yeah they are totally natural yeah. and you can explode but you then need to kind of not forgive yourself but, but go oh I'm glad I, that person wasn't there when I 
first had that reaction. <laughs> and I deep breath and I'll go forward. So the reactions are perfectly normal. Okay. Um, so we were also wondering, Emily, um, what are some of the main things uh, you'd like people to know about bullying? And um, So including any tips and advice to those being bullied now and their families? Yeah, some sense of some sort of general bits of advice, you know, tips, tips, a general toolkit, let's say that listeners might might benefit from, you know, beyond, of course, what you've already said, which of many points, so it, or if there's any other general things. I think my thing is very much to to build self-confidence in kids. And if we are talking specifically about autistic children, then acknowledging who they are with their with their huge strengths and their weaknesses and and being able to say this bit is going to be difficult for you because this is what um, neurotypical people do and autistics are neurodivergent. Also, you know, it works for for kids who are neurodivergent in any way. and I have worked a lot with communities in Bristol that are different. So, in a way, you have children of colour, they often feel marginalised in exactly the same way. Um, so it's building up confidence, saying, mm-hmm. you're good at this. Where do you think your strengths are? And accepting them for who they are. You know, this thing about, oh, don't behave that way, other children will laugh at you. Oh, don't do this. It's, you know, I, I, I think... Does that self-worth? I think it's a being honest with, mm. with kids. Um, mm. Getting them to understand that however black and white life feels, in actual fact, there is a massive range of colours um, and we need to look at those. One of the things that I get kids to do early on is to breathe because under stress our breathing becomes very shallow and then there's not enough oxygen to power the logical bits of our brain. So I work with kids and their parents as well to kind of breathe into their stomachs mm. and whatever colour works for them. You know, if kids need courage, very often they'll choose something like red um, and to breathe that colour in and then to breathe it out through their feet and imagine massive root system underneath them so that they're grounded. Because I think when, when we feel stressed, often we're not grounded and therefore it's very difficult to think logically yeah definitely um, i know from from personal experience that when i feel stressed you know when somebody says something to me that upsets me or i strongly disagree with i don't know whether yeah. it's my greek blood or what but i become internally particularly um kind of all twisted up you know and Yes. And I find that I, I do lose a sense of, uh, you know, grounding and, and I'm not able to think with that clarity and respond with that 
that in the way that I would have otherwise liked to have uh, in a calmer way. And mm. uh, I have read previously that, you know, when you feel that way, just take a moment and breathe and, uh, and, and gather yourself. And, and I find that when I do it, it works, but that I yeah. off the, my problem is that I often forget to do it because you know, the emo it's, it's a, there's a fight, isn't there going on between your, your sort of anger or stress and your emotions mm. with that, uh, that sort of uh, rational thinking of, of, oh no, but, but breathe and let's, let's, let's get some balance and, you know, composure, yeah. you know, this sort of internal fight. <laughs> I don't know whether it's my Greekness that is just sort of, whereas the emotions are always yeah. uh, winning over <laughs> more often than I not. I think it's true of an awful lot of people. Um, and I think that's kind of, again, that kind of goes back to my approach, which is you have to practice these things. It, it's no good saying to kids, if you get stressed, you need to breathe something that I think we need to do it's a good training to do with kids on a daily basis is to take that breath and and just practice doing it so that under stress it becomes much more natural to do it I also get kids to kind of think about how they feel on a bad day which you know and the descriptive ways they put it are really heartbreaking you know I I feel fat ugly and stupid um if if you feel that way this shows in in your facial expression in your body language in the way you behave um and therefore kids are much less likely to be friendly because you present this picture of back off um so I think that's quite useful for autistic kids as well to get them to say how they what what they think are the good things about themselves and in a neurotypical um, population this is based on skill personality and appearance um and actually the difference is enormous if you kind of think i'm I am the best Lego maker I know. Um, I am really focused on what I do as a personality thing. And my trainers are brilliant. And there is a difference when you are thinking those things in the way that you present to the world. Because when you're thinking you're good at things and that you have a positive personality, you know, attributes to your personality and the way you look, then the face, the facial muscles relax, the shoulders go down, the body language is more open and you present a picture of somebody who is approachable. So again, I, when I work with families, with younger kids, I get them to practice that frequently as well. I suppose that reaps rewards in just life generally, doesn't it? You know, not yeah. just. I mean, it's something that we're terrible at, aren't we, as a society generally? You know that. Yeah. At least in my experience, from what I found in my sampling of interactions through my daily life, that people mm. are just not very good at uh, self-complimenting themselves. They're terrible at self-compassion. That you know, if yeah. you, if you offer a compliment, you know, they try and bat it away or. 
give quick oh, quickly give one thing. yeah quick quickly give one back so it's not about them it's about you know it's yeah. not about you it's about them you know and and anything to sort of deflect it away I, well, I, we have what is that all about phrases, don't we like don't yeah. your own trumpet <laughs> and it's i think it's a particularly british thing as well isn't it maybe it's a, yeah. cult, a bit of a cultural culturally uh, manif- uh, manifested thing um, it is, and I think it's why writing CVs is so difficult. <laughs> um, I just, yeah. w- just wanted to ask you, um, Emily, do you think it's particularly difficult for autistic people as well? Because um, uh, quite yes, a few, quite a few that I've come across have mentioned that to me. Yeah, uh, I, I well, think different, we find are compassion not difficult. because we are different. You know, and I, I speak as somebody who had a, a late diagnosis. So I know how it is to feel different and to feel inadequate because because we don't quite fit in. Um, so you're continually trying to be what people require. Um, and so then I think it's really difficult to go, well, what, what am I good at? Yeah, that makes you know, a lot of I, sense. I've, Personally, I suppose I've done quite well, given that I didn't go into academia until middle age. Um, and I, but I just feel I responded to opportunities I was given. So I never, I find it really hard to take credit for what I've done, because people asked me to do something, and I thought, oh, yep, I'll give it a go. Um, I think I could do that. Um, mm. So I think it is hard and, and hard for autistic kids. So I think anything that we do that builds up their confidence that they feel good about. So it's no good saying to an autistic child, yes, but you're very friendly, or yes, but you're very, um, you know, for personality. But you're very focused. You have to let them work out what it is they're good at. Mm. And I think the earlier we start back in childhood, then then the better, really. Because if you come from that self-confident viewpoint and an ability to say no, because you've been brought up to go, actually, I'm not comfortable with that. Or actually, I would need to ask somebody else if if that's okay and, yeah. and all those ways of saying no that we tend not to teach kids um it's a very so complicated I, picture um so does that feed back into what you were saying about um having like an educational shift away from stressing compliance and that kind of the old thinking yeah. about aba and that kind of thing yeah it does it does i i think it, it isn't that I think we should bring children up to think whatever they do is perfect. I, I don't think that at all, um, any more than I think what all adults do is perfect. I, I think as parents we do mould our children, whether we want to or not. We are the adults and we have to take responsibility for that. But... I do think that there are kinder ways 
of doing it. And as you say, autistics seem to be bad at at saying, well, I, I'm, I am actually good at this. Uh, and so if we can teach them that in childhood. Yeah, I think teaching them in childhood, sorry, sorry to uh, uh, cut in there, but yeah, yeah I was no, just going to say, no, no, just to say I agree, teaching, it makes absolute sense. I can't see anything... Um, any reason why not to try to intervene early and, and, and give those messages early. But I also think that um, probably, you know, it's a bit of a chicken in the, in the egg, isn't it? It's a bit of a vicious cycle when it comes to these things because autistic people are so stigmatised. They already have such bad mental health, for whatever reasons that is, yeah. um, that, you know, they they therefore are are perhaps already thinking... Or, or e- e- before or after, I'm not sure which way around, maybe both, but before or after the mental, the poor mental health or the stigma, they are thinking, uh, they're not necessarily thinking positively, you know. So yeah. it, it, so I think somehow we have to break the chain, you know, and, and I think your, your idea of early intervention makes sense in schools, among children, but if we can also change things at a social, socio-cultural level, and you know, sort of, are, you know, get people, get the general public to understand that autism is, you know, a, a ultimately, you know, a matter of difference, not you know, neurological yeah. difference, as opposed to something we should devalue. Rather, yeah. rather, we should, you know, value in the same way that we would value, try to value neurotypical people. So I think if we had this whole socio-cultural shift towards more positive thinking and less stigma, probably we would find that it would help with regard to self-efficacy and mental health. And that might then make these people more malleable and more open to the idea of self-compassion and uh, uh, being kinder to oneself and, and, uh, and all the rest of it. You know, it's, it's, it's a complex thing, but it, it, I think there is a lot of pieces in the puzzle that need work and they would reap huge uh, benefits if, I think we'd all reap huge benefits uh, neurotypical autistic if we if we could move positively in this way and I think that would definitely include bullying as well oh de- definitely I don't think it's I I don't know I mean I'm kind of twice your age so <laughs> I've, I've kind of seen enough of people who sigh heavily yeah but it's um, how you feel right Emily not what your age is <laughs> to borrow I'm, your uh... <laughs> 104 in that case is that how you are <laughs> Oh, you got um, me beat. I was going to say a hundred, but you got me beat. <laughs> Either way, yeah. you've got me beat. <laughs> it's, I just, I'm. When I was younger, I was all for world domination. Now I think if I can reach a few people and make a real difference, that's probably as far as I'm going to get. But it's. I think one of my big shiftings in thinking about autism was. Um, Luke Bearden's book, um, oh, uh, was it Autism, Asperger's Syndrome in Adults. Um, he's really clear about there being a difference and it has lots of positives. It's merely a difference. But I mean, I, I think the same, say, the same applies to, um, to race and to appearance. You know, I, I, set off my research with kids who look phenomenally different from your average kid and it was that huge stigma of not being accepted 
excited and people looking and laughing or or showing disgust or pity and none of those are enjoyable when you're the recipient recipient um you know people think the pity element is is the kindest it's not it's an awful way to be viewed and and i think that is the same for autistics that we we don't need to be pitied we're we're different we're not we're not wrong or necessarily disabled because of the autism I know there's a high incidence of learning disabled as opposed to learning difficulties. Um, but it's it, it's not that that's wrong, it's just that we're different. And yeah. Essentially, humans are herd animals. They fear anything that they don't understand. It's, um, it's, it's you know, those... Evolutionary. Yeah, no, you, you definitely, yeah. But I think we have to break away from that, you know. I mean, you know, why not? I think we are at a point in our evolution, you might argue, where we can, you know, uh, think critically and break away from, you know, our evolutionary instincts, perhaps our uh, primal urges, mm. you know. So I we, think we, we have to. I yeah. think once, because there are such high densities of population and such strong it seems to me increasingly strong views held by everybody and, and you know politically is just one way whereby it feels to me like it's almost a civil war at the moment um, but it, it I think these enormous population explosions and everybody fighting for the same resources which logically we'll get fewer um yeah that ratio is getting worse and worse more difficult and we need to start allowing difference otherwise it it will become even more vicious i feel yeah and there's no doubt about that yeah absolutely agree um and just to say earlier you said you know if you if you um have made you know that earlier you said that you wanted to dominate the world, but in the end you'll settle, <laughs> you'll settle for helping a few people. I've no yeah. doubt, Emily, that through your books and through all of your teaching and academic work and through all of your practice that you do with your in, individual clients and schools and all the rest of it, that you have made an enormous, immeasurable difference. Not, <laughs> not anything confined to one or two people. So uh, that should be said and highlighted, I think, Emily, to be fair to you. So I uh, thank you for that. And I'm that. now struggling desperately with the... <laughs> <laughs> how, how do I deflect that and go... <laughs> 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 but uh, I am also bright pink with pleasure, so thank you. Ah, thank you're you very welcome. Okay, I think then uh, perhaps we will leave it there unless there's any other questions or any other comments. Emily, is there anything else that you uh, would like to add or say? Um, I don't think so, excepting to say that I think via the internet is an incredible way for autistic kids to get support. I mean, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people don't like 
the internet for kids, but I think for autistic kids, it can be the most amazing support uh, support system with other autistic kids. Um, and certainly, I found that as an adult, you know, meeting people online, and uh, and then in real life, and and it's been it's been an absolute revelation and a joy. So yeah. get on, get online, connect, and take advantage. Harness those resource yeah. online resources and it's, it's mechanisms. It's nice to feel you're part of a bigger group. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I I think that, and I think we could do more to encourage um, autistic online groups for youngsters. Perhaps I know I know that subject to all kinds of other difficulties and pieces, but um, that was my only other thing and and how might people contact you if they are interested in uh reaching out to you or perhaps uh um you know uh, uh, for whatever reason you know uh, perhaps yeah. they need some support okay well i have a website which is com. excellent i'll put i'll put a link into the podcast description as well and... Yes, and, and on the last page, there's a contact me page there, and I'm very happy for people to contact me with queries, or if I can, if I can help, I will. And, and there's, there's hope, right, for people, I mean, if people are listening to this and they, oh, they are absolutely. struggling. Yes, nev- never lose hope, there is always hope, there are always things that you can do, um, it, it's all... It is definitely doable. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've you've demonstrated, you've highlighted various concrete uh, um, things that people can can do or think, and our general yeah. kind of approach to these things. And, and so. also, I I have a book which I'm writing at the moment for families where a member is autistic and is struggling with bullying. So. All the things that I've said, and an awful lot more, and access to other resources as well, um, that should come out later this year. So I, I, I will make sure that it all goes in there. So if you have suggestions for that, also contact me via the web page. But, um, but that's what I'm working on, so that it's available for. And the name of your the name of your other book. For people oh it's well sadly it it's out of print oh okay it's so, out of print um, it's that so popular it's sold out <laughs> it's sold and, out and then and then i because my publisher was interested in different kinds of literature from this they started out with a broad basis and then narrowed down to a very narrow field that wasn't my kind of thing um i left them but i have being approached by JK Press who do lots of good books on autism and they've asked me to rewrite it um, for families where there are autistic members or teachers who also frequently are just completely in the dark about what to do for the best. So, So that will come out later this year. Great, looking forward to getting a copy of that and reading through yeah. it with interest. And uh, thank you again for all of your time and all of the work that you do, Emily. It's a real pleasure. Oh, 
always. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. No, you're very welcome. Yeah, and thank you for yeah, me yeah, as well. Hi, James, as well. Nice to have met you, <laughs> albeit on the phone. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. It was it was really enlightening. Thank you. Oh, I'm very glad. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon, Emily. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.